It's time to look back at the last season of Boston College football from the class of, from the year of 2023. We're going to look at the the MVP and all the big moments from this past season. I am going to be joined by Mitch Wolf. We'll talk all about it on today's show. You are locked on Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome, everyone. This is Locked On Boston College. I'm your host, AJ Black, editor of Eagle Insider, part of the 247 Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. So it's superlative time. We're going to treat this like a high school yearbook. We're going to open the pages up on the 2023 Boston College football season and look at the high moments and all the players that stood out to us and of course to talk about bc football we'd have no one else other than staff writer and eagle insider mitch wolf mitch how's it going going well happy to be back on the show uh it's nice that we're we have a uh, positive note to end the season on because i think had we done this right when the regular season was over or if the bowl game went how we expected this would have been a very downer of a show to do oh absolutely and <clears throat> when i was writing up the, this post for eagle insider like it was when we when we get to the game of the year, it it really it is setting a tone for this offseason, which is nice because either over the last years we've either had no tone, which you know with bowl games being canceled because of COVID, or you know halfway keeping players out because of COVID, or bad things like last year or 2019, you know, like it just was it, it was always something, and now we finally have some good momentum going into the offseason. So let's kick this off, Mitch. The big one, offensive MVP. Who'd you pick? I think we're going to be in lockstep here. It, it's got to be Thomas Castellanos. Uh, you know, comes in at, to replace Emmett Moorhead as the starter, and really just injects some life into this offense that was desperately needed. And you know, Moorhead had his moments last year, but it was tough to really evaluate him given the circumstances of the terrible offense. And he had Zay Flowers, and he loses a Flowers, so that you know, you wonder how much that kind of saved him, but. Bringing Castellanos in, it completely changes the offense. And I think we need to give credit to the staff for being able to make that kind of a switch. Obviously had some packages of plays for him ready to go, but then they, over the course of the season, turned over the entire offense, made it this uh, kind of old school QB run game centric offense. And, you know, Castellanos certainly had his ups and downs. You know, we'll be reviewing a lot of his uh, tape and performances this offseason and you know, there are a lot of lot of mistakes, which is to be expected from a guy who is making who's it's, he's in his first year as a starter. He's, you know, was recruited by a lot of power five schools, but as an athlete, not as a quarterback. Um, so, you know, he played sparingly at UCF against, you know, much worse competition in you know basically the end of blowouts. So, you know, some of those mistakes were to be expected. And I think we saw some progression from where he began the year to the end. Uh, but, you know, obviously his skill as a runner was huge, you know, the, probably the you could probably make the argument he's the best running quarterback BC's ever had. You know, I think Tyler Murphy obviously has a case, but Murphy was not nowhere near as electric as a scrambler or dynamic as an athlete, you know, and that, that might go in that the fact that Murphy was, you know, 23 or 24 year old graduate student and Castellanos is a, you know, true sophomore that probably has a, a bit to do with it, but you know, it's, it's just such a joy watching him run in the open field because of how he can make defenders miss and, 
really turn any any run into a, an explosive player for the offense. And it was it was so refreshing to see him back to the way he was against SMU. Now earlier in the season, it, it seemed to me that he was banged up, mm-hmm. um, and he had to do a lot, you know, especially when Kai Robichaux went down with injuries. It kind of all went on him, and and there were plays that were breaking down that he had just kind of took it upon himself. I mean, we could go through all the games that he basically won by himself on offense. And I, I, it seemed as the season went on, his effectiveness, especially passing kind of fell off with it, but the game against SMU, he had that one bad pass, but he just seemed much more confident in himself. He seemed much more the Castellanos that we saw against Georgia tech, the Castellanos we saw against Florida state, you know, like he looked every bit, the quarterback um, that you know, that you're hoping we'll have for the next couple of years. Now let's move on to defense. And this was, this is one that's probably the more depressing answer. So I know we're both locked up on this one. So go ahead. Yeah. It's Elijah Jones. And I wrote about this in the article, but at, after the Syracuse game and before the Virginia tech one, I was preparing an article that was going to argue for Elijah Jones to be, the winner of the Jim Thorpe award, which is awarded to the best defensive back in the country for the FBS. And then he mysteriously is suspended and we never see him play again. But prior to that moment, Jones was in the midst of an absolutely dominant tear performances. He had a great game against Virginia where he had a big interception Um, army, not a lot of passing. So not a lot for him to do Um, Georgia tech, two interceptions and both of them, I think late, Definitely in the fourth quarter, uh, not sure how late they were in the game, but that killed Georgia Tech's drives and BC able to capitalize on those. Uh, not targeted much against UConn, and then another absolutely dominant performance against, excuse me, Syracuse, where, you know, the first interception we didn't really see thanks to the terrible camera work and camera angles in the Carrier Dome. And then another, which is probably one of the craziest interceptions I've seen. Well, obviously there was the Amari Jackson one against Georgia Tech, but one of the better like concerted effort interceptions that I've seen where he just ripped the ball out of a SMU receiver's hands and, and killed another Syracuse drive. And there was another play towards the end of the game where he broke up a pass, tipped it up in the air and Cole Batson intercepted it for, you know, this was towards the end of the game. And so BC got the ball back and they were essentially able to run the clock out because of that interception. So, you know, absolutely dominant performances, you know, in nearly consecutive weeks. And then after his suspension, um, the passing defense just completely fell apart. You know, two games where they were just allowing explosive play after explosive play and they allowed 40 points against Virginia tech and Miami. And then sandwich between those, they allowed a moribund Pittsburgh offense with their third string quarterback to hit them for a bunch of explosive passing plays. And I'm not, I'm not sure that if Jones had played, they would have beaten Virginia tech or Miami, but I think it's fair to say that those games would have been closer. And frankly, I think it's fair to say that had he played against Pitt, they probably would have won that game. All right, and let's get into our next superlative, which is surprise of the year. And I'm going to do mine before break. I'm going to make Mitch wait to do his after I do a a read. And you'll have to wait to hear what he has to say, because we both have different ones on this. And it's the biggest surprise of the year. My biggest surprise as someone who was covering the team um, all summer long. I was at practice, you know, listening to press conferences, being at press conferences was the benching of Emmett Moorhead for Thomas Castellanos. That was the biggest surprise to me because you saw Emmett Moorhead at ACC media days. You saw him, you know, halfway trotted him out at every practice or, you know, a couple practices a week. And he was the face, he was the face that QB one face that you'd expect. And 
you heard rumblings at practice that, you know, Castellanos was doing pretty well, but you didn't hear it to the point where it would take two drives in the NIU game before we never saw Emmett Moorhead in meaningful snaps again. It was such a surprise that it took just that little bit amount of time for BC to pull the trigger on him. I, I was shocked. You know, I know there's going to, you know, you have one that you're going to talk about in just a moment. But for me, Emmett Moorhead being benched was the biggest surprise. And do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it the week after it happened and how <clears throat> I thought it was exceptionally dishonorable to Moorhead, especially given all he had went through in 2022 behind one of the worst offensive lines in all of college football's recent memory. Um, it was obviously the, the right decision. Um, you know, even given that when we did see Moorhead in limited snaps the rest of the year, he was largely ineffective. Um, but it's just frustrating how that was handled because it, it was, it seemed clear that Castellanos was performing better. And, you know, I, I'll give credit, halfway credit for you know, being loyal to his guys and saying, you know, Moorhead's been here longer. We're going to give him the start. And, you know, I, I, get, I get that philosophy, but at the end of the day, you got to start the guy who's the best. And I have to think that had they gone into the NIU game with Castellanos as the plan starter, it built the game plan around him. I, I really believe they do win that game. And, you know, that, that puts the season in a whole new light where BC gets to, you know, seven wins ostensibly. And, you know, just get, off, just get the season off to a much better start as opposed to, you know, losing to a Mac team that ultimately, you know, finished about the same as BC. All right. In a moment, Mitch is going to talk to us about his surprise of the year. It's different than mine. You're going to want to hear that. Now, You shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals all in prices, view from your seats, and their best price guarantees, Game Time can take the guesswork out of buying tickets. Are you looking to see the Celtics this year? You want to get in and see a team that looks like they could be winning banner number 18? Get over to Game Time. Find the seats that you want. Get into the garden. And with with their uh, seat viewer, it's, it's excellent. We've talked about this before. I used it to buy my tickets to a BC football game this year. And I love that. And I also love that there's no surprise prices on game time. You know, you, the price that you see is the price you're paying. And there's no hidden fees. You're not going to get, you know, another, you know, exorbitant amount of money that you're paying because you don't see it ahead of time. Game time is right up front with what you're paying, and it's always low. So make sure you check out Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code L O C K E D O N for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. This is Locked On BC, AJ Black, and I'm joined by Mitch Wolf of Eagle Insider, and we're talking about our superlatives, and we're going to talk about your biggest surprise. And what is your biggest surprise of the year? So this goes in line with some comments we got about this superlative, um, and it's mo- it was mainly put by them as Donovan Ezeraku not living up to how he performed last year, and specifically in terms of sacks. But I'm going to expand it to just how shockingly unable this team's defensive line was in terms of converting pressures into sacks, because BC did a decent job of putting pressure on the quarterback, including the bowl game. They got 
pressure on 34.3% of opposing quarterbacks dropbacks, which ranked 39th in the FBS. So pretty good. They were above average in blitz rate, uh, ranking 43rd at 31.2%, but they finished 129th in sack rate at 3.7%, 130th in total sacks with only 13. And, you know, watching the Fenway Bowl, that, you know, issue really came home to roost for BC because obviously it's on a wet fields and Jen, Keith Jennings or Kevin Jennings was a pretty solid scrambler. So that plays into it. But the number of times where BC, a BC defender had the quarterback in his sights and had a seemingly clear path to him and just missed or just dove and missed the tackle. You know, I feel like we saw that, you know, a handful of times in every single game and, you know, had BC been able to just get a few of those converted into sacks, their entire defensive performance would have been a lot better throughout the whole season. Um, and this is not just a Don Mezzarocchi issue. You know, Nedewick Pollock is probably the worst culprit of it. Um, Cam Horsley had a really good season, but he also struggled in this area. Uh, George Rooks had a bit of this issue. So it wasn't just one guy. It was really everybody. And frankly, I think this is the biggest issue that BC is facing going into the offseason, you know, at least right now because of the additions we've seen in the transfer portal. So we're going to see some better bodies there. But, you know, given that we're going to see a lot of the same guys on the defensive line, uh, I think Chris Banks is the only one that's going to be uh, that's leaving. Uh, obviously, guys could hit the portal soon, but with those guys, they have to figure out a way to resolve that issue in 2024. Because if that happens again, you know it's just inexcusable for the defense not to be able to fix this. Is this something a defensive line coach should be able to fix? Or? I would think so, um, and I'm, I, I'm I'm sure they've noticed it. And you know, I, I get some of them might be fluky, where you know, like the Fenway Bowl, it's pouring rain. You lose you lose your footing on the. Uh, wet turf. I remember I asked on Nazaraku about this in the Georgia Tech game where he had a play where he lost his footing and he talked about how their turf is a lot different from BC's turf just in terms of how much it gives. So you have less ability to keep your feet. So, you know, I, I think that the deep, uh, the coaches also talked a lot about how the players gained weight and muscle this offseason. And I have to wonder that did that affect their speed uh, and ability to close on quarterbacks? So, you know, I, I think that that's going to show up when they, you know, do some self scouting this off season, go back and watch the tape. So I have to imagine it's going to be at least somewhat improved. And I think also BC should just be able to luck into some more sexes. This was at the end of the day, like some of them were just unlucky things where, and a lot of times even where it was, it was, could have been a sack, but the quarterback got the, got rid of the ball right as he was about to be hit. So, you know, if you're still getting your hands at the quarterback, getting to the ground, that's still positive, but you obviously want, you prefer the sack to forcing an errant throw. All right, we have more superlatives up on Eagle Insider. We're not going to go through all of them today, but I want to go over one where Mitch and I definitely disagreed, and that was Game of the Year. Now, Mitch, I'll let you go first. What was your Game of the Year? So mine was the Georgia Tech game, and my argument for this was I felt this was the most complete performance by BC in terms of their games this season. And, you know, as as any, team, as any BC team, it's not a perfect performance, uh, you know, Georgia Tech still had their favorite explosive plays. You think about the like 75 yard QB draw that Haynes King scored touchdown on the uh, uh, one passing touchdown that was from a one by three formation that gave BC a lot of trouble throughout the whole season. But I think you still saw the defense's ability to get stops, uh, limit the running game on a down to down, you know, efficiency basis. They got some pressure on the quarterback in that game, still struggled to get it to turn into sacks, but that pressure also led to, two interceptions by Elijah Jones. You had the crazy pick six by Amari Jackson early on in the game. And on offense, you know, that was one of Thomas Castellanos' better games. He had the incredible throw scrambling to his left down the sideline to Kai Robichaux for a huge gain. Um, he did have an interception where I thought he could have 
thrown the ball better, but the receiver also could have, uh, you know, made a better play. And, you know, obviously to close the game out, the offensive line was dominant in that game. And Kai Rocho and Thomas Castellanos both had huge days in the ground. And they were able to turn those interceptions by Elijah Jones into touchdowns that put the game out of reach and, you know, gave BC the advantage going away. So I, I get the other argument for the other game that you're going to talk about, but in terms of how, when I, what I want to see from BC team, that game is what I want to see the most on pretty much all aspects of the football team. So my pick of the year and I, and Georgia tech was like right up there with me. My pick of the year for game of the year is Boston college versus Miami. And I'll tell you what, no, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, Boston College in the in the in the Fenway Bowl, of course, um, and I, I'll explain. Like, you know, X's and O's wise, it wasn't the most perfect game BC played all year, but pro- programmatically, I felt like this was the biggest game um, of the year. It gave them a top twenty-five win, a bowl win, and as we said earlier in this podcast, it let BC go into the off season with a lot of momentum which is going to only help BC in the transfer portal and in recruiting, which they desperately need. They, my, after last year, covering and seeing what the staff does, and I've talked to a lot of the staff members about it, it's been tough. When you, when you are going off of a three and nine year, when you have a coach on the hot seat, throughout most of the season he's on the hot seat, and you're trying to sell these vision, this vision to kids, it's tough because you can talk and talk and talk but when the when the results aren't you know showing on the field, it's a completely different story. Now they can say, "Look, we just beat a top twenty-five team. Look, we won a bowl game," and these players are watching and going, "This is cool. I want to do that." It's good for the guys that you have. You know, you saw all of them; they're feeling great. You're you. It's good for the guys you're bringing in. You know, there's already eight transfers coming in, and it's the good for the guys that you're targeting. So. From a programmatic standpoint, I thought the SMU win was big. And, and big for the fans, too. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to ignore the fans here. The fans, it, it, Marty, is programmatically a word? I don't know. I have a really bad head cold, and I'm just I'm, I'm going at it right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I just made up my own word. But I, think that's, the, I think it is a word. Yeah, I think you're good. Okay, cool. Um, but... For the fans too, right? Like the fans are desperately need wanting something to grab onto. This win was it. It felt like for me that the Missouri game was a big win for BC a couple years ago, but this felt almost as big as the USC win. Um, it's not as big, but I, I it's almost there. It feels it has that feel to it. So I, I'm going to pick the SMU game. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with you that what that game lacked in execution or. I'll say enjoyment from the fans in terms of, you know, going to the game and being in those elements. It definitely made up for in terms of just general positive vibes of a game where, you know, like, like you said, it just changes the the entire mood around the program because had they lost that game, you know, it it would have been forgivable given that SMU, I still think is a good football team. Um, And they were obviously nearly two touchdown favorites, but that just would have, you know, further plunged the, into the negative of the mood where the season was left off at with the Miami game where it's just, everything's terrible. Nothing's ever going to get better. But now, you know, there's some hope there's like, Hey, you know, again, if you dive into like the really deep minutia of the results, like, okay, there's, excuse me, a lot of variables that, you know, you could say, um, you know, BC may not have been the quote unquote better team where they didn't serve to win quote unquote, but 
you know, at the end of the day, they win the game. And that is what is going to, that's what matters to people. And that's what people are going to remember. And we're going to wrap this up with a superlative that we did not put on the uh, website. So you might might have read it, but this is not one that we put up. So Mitch and I are doing a new one here. And it goes on to something Marty Party is putting in our comment section. And I'll put it up for readers, uh, watchers who are watching along. But we're doing play of of the year. And we didn't specify which team made the play of the year, <laughs> but my play of the year, and I don't remember his name, is the quarterback from Bryson Army, Daly. Bryson Daly with that forward pass that uh, negated what was almost certainly going to be an Army win. And <laughs> that was the play, I feel like, if that didn't happen, as, as Marty says, without the Army comeback, there is no bowl. Without the Army comeback, the season probably would have tailspinned. Without the Army comeback, we probably would have had a new coach by this point. I, I think this was the play of the season, honestly. And you could probably you could argue that, or you could also argue about Matthew Sluka at the end of the, the Holy Cross game, too. There's two other teams screwing things up that help BC really get to where they're at. You take the wins where you can get them. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Those those plays are huge for the momentum of the season. And it's funny because Daly, where he's he's like basically getting tackled when he makes that pitch and he's got the first down. So he's so if he just keeps it, I think I, I think the score what would it have been 24 to 21, maybe or 24 to 20. If they get that first down and nothing happens, like they probably just kneel out that game and, and BC loses. And, you know, like you said, it might have a different head coach at that point. Um, I, I'll stay on the positive side for this. Uh, there was a lot I was considering uh, the aforementioned Castellanos to Robichaux pass in the Georgia tech game. One of the more impressive throws that I I've seen from Castellanos and frankly, from any BC quarterback in uh, probably since Phil Dracovic and his first year. Um, I mentioned the Elijah Jones game against Syracuse, that interception uh, where he ripped the ball out of the receiver's hands I think I'm, I'm going to switch my pick, actually. And I'm going to go with that Amari Jackson pick six against Georgia Tech because, you know, I can talk about how, you know, the, a lot of these are like effort plays that make them so amazing. Um, you know, they're not necessarily perfectly drawn up X's and O's, you know, great execution, what have you. And just the, the craziness of what Amari Jackson did to, you know, kind of just pin that ball to his thigh and somehow come up with it and then able to get his get going you know, he's basically into the end zone before the receiver realizes what happened. So I'll go with the Amari Jackson pick six versus Georgia tech. Um, probably not a huge significant play in terms of BC season and maybe even that game, but just in terms of raw, how the bleep did he do that? That's gotta be up there for the best play of the season. So I have two that were my honorable mentions that I was thinking about, but neither of them would win. One was just cause it was awesome, which was Sam Candotti's fake punt against Syracuse. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one, because we ended up losing, but it, at the moment was enormous. Oh, was the Ka- Kari Johnson's um, oh. fumble return against Florida state. Definitely that one. I, and I just thought of this one. I thought this is where you're going. The, the castle on a scramble on fourth and forever against NIU where he mm-hmm. just ran around for 10 seconds and then threw up a prayer. I think it was to Dino Tomlin for a first down. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's got to be up there too. But again, BC didn't win that game. And I think later that drive, Castellanos threw an interception that was eventually overturned by review. I think they did eventually score, but, you know, that was a crazy drive for him. And, you know, mm-hmm. obviously that's that's BC fans' first exposure to Castellanos. And really that drive was kind of emblematic of the entire season for him. So we kind of got a taste of what we would go on to see for the entire season. 
All right. In a moment, Mitch is going to wrap things up by talking about a little bit about what he's going to be presenting on his newest game film on the fan, on the Fenway Bowl up on our site. You're going to want to hear what he has to say. We'll be back in just a moment. The NFL season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $500 bet. A $5 bet, excuse me. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. So easy to use. You know, if you thought um, that you, if you were looking at the BC game against Wake Forest last night and you were, you're were you not living in the state of Massachusetts and you're thinking one and a half point spread, I'm, you know, maybe I don't think BC is going to win this. So I'm going to go with Wake Forest. You'd be feeling pretty good about that. Now, the app is easy to use and there are so many ways to bet with live game same parlays, which I've been getting into recently. Uh, find bets in new explore tabs, make a parlay in the parlay hub. I mean, it's everything. And it, the part I love about FanDuel is that when you get your winnings, you can withdraw them right away. Gets right in your bank account pretty quickly. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup with FanDuel, the official sports partner of the NFL. This is locked on BC AJ Black. Now, you know, Mitch and I are both, we both work on Eagle Insider. There's a lot of great stuff up there. We, you know, if you haven't checked it out, Beacon Street Ball has his wrap up of yesterday's game, and he's got some great critiques of how BC basketball lost to Wake Forest. You can go check that out. You have to be a VIP member, though. So make sure if you aren't, you sign up today. One of the other great features that we have is Mitch's, I rewatched this game, so you don't have to feature. And he's going to be doing one for the Fenway Bowl coming out on the site probably tomorrow. And Mitch, you wanted to talk a little bit about what you could expect from your post. I'm not sure it's good for us for SEO to, to redo the title for this one to I rewatched the Fenway Bowl. So you don't have to, even though you probably want to. Uh, so, you know, that's a bit wordy for SEO. So we, maybe we'll just stick with the normal one. But yeah, rewatching this game. I think it was very interesting, the game plan that BC had on both sides of the ball. And I think it's very informative for what we'll see in 2024. So first of all, on offense, I know people were frustrated with that BC was probably throwing the ball a bit too much. Uh, there was one drive where they went three and out with uh, two two incomplete passes and then the, the swing pass to Alex Broom to the, to the flat where he got hit right as he caught it and fumbled. But honestly, I thought Castellanos did a very good job throwing the ball to given the elements, um, especially when he, we saw that how much he struggled in similar elements against Army, I, there were a lot, besides the interception. Interception was very stupid. I don't know what he did. I don't know what he saw, just boneheaded play. And again, we kind of know that one of those is going to happen at, at, in any game where he plays. So maybe he cleans that up, maybe makes it like every other game. Uh, but other than that, you know, some very accurate throws that sometimes receivers just dropped. Um, there was one with Jaden Skeet where if he had he caught it better, I might have had a big gain, and I think he, I think he did. I think it was a similar play where he got that big uh, gain that set up. I think it was BC's first touchdown, or uh, Thomas Castellanos' first rushing touchdown. Um, and even the the throw to Broom, they kept trying to hit that swing pass, and one time they did, but that time it, that's not a play. That was not a play calling issue. L- Frankly, Lewis Bond just whiffed on his block. They had the numbers out there. Lewis Bond just just missed his block, and Broom got blown up because of it. Um, so again, probably a little too aggressive passing the ball, but if you watch the early part of the game, BC was not able to run the ball with as much effectiveness as they usually were, especially up the middle. You know, I assume you did a good job styming that in the first half. So they had to go with some other things. And to their credit, I thought Castellanos did a mostly good job of throwing the ball. 
Um, and they also were very uh, intentional, especially in the second half, about calling plays that gave Castellanos kind of easy decisions, easy reads to make to get the ball to his playmakers in space. And I'll go into it more in the article, but basically it was kind of a one, you know, one read, two read or run. And I think that's probably the best system that you can have for him at this point. Um, and, you know, obviously some of the other creative play calling, you know, the, obviously the, the throwback play between him and Kai Robichaux, they had a, a good, they had a good screen play that is built off of a run play that they've run a lot from a certain formation. So that was cool to see. Um, and, you know, I thought, I thought Castle, again, I thought Castle did a good, aside from the interception, pretty did a pretty good job of making decisions in this game. On the other side of the ball, this was a complete schematic about face from Jeff Halfley and the coaching staff. And I tweeted these numbers out because I was watching it and I thought this looks so different from what BC has ever done. And so here, so these are stats from True Media and PFF. So in this game, BC played zone coverage on 55% of the snaps, the most of the season by 17 snaps. It was also their highest rate of zone at 69.6% nice of snaps, which their next closest was 62.8% against UConn. Uh, and that's that's the percentage of snaps that were zone. And a lot of these were out of two high shell coverage. When I, I've explained this, but I'll do it again in case this is your first time. Two, two high shells are when there are two safeties that are uh, deep and back. Usually you can't see them on the screen, but there's two of them and they're in deep coverage and you can run different coverages out of it, but they're, there's two back there or one high, which BC runs a ton of one high. That's mostly what they do, where there's one safety deep back in the middle of the field and the other one is down either in the slot or in the box. In this game, it was a ton more two high shells. Um, so in terms of specific coverages, BC ran cover one, which uh, which is one deep safety, and then man coverage across the board at 26.6% of their snaps. That was their lowest rate of the season. Normally, they're running cover one at 60-70% of snaps. In this game, they ran cover four, which is cover uh, four deep defenders or also known as quarters at their second highest rate of the season, 22.8%, which was the most snaps they've ran of it this season. And they also ran cover two, two deep safeties and then zone coverage underneath at 12.7%, which is their highest rate of the season. They also ran cover zero, which is everybody blitz or you blitz seven, everybody else is in man coverage at 1.3%, with just one snap, the lowest rate of the season. They only blitzed on 20% of SMU's dropbacks, which was their second lowest rate of the season, but generated a pressure rate of 45.5%, their second highest of the season. So, you know, BC is typically a man coverage, single high, pretty blitz aggressive defense. In this game, they were the exact opposite. They did some funky zone pressure, zones, uh, zone blitz looks. They ran one blitz repeatedly, which I, I'm going to get into the article because I don't want to explain it here. It requires a lot of visual explanation, but they kept coming back to that blitz and it was effective pretty much every time in terms of forcing an incompletion on a late down or getting the quarterback down for either a sack or, you know, basically a minimal gain on a scramble. So why I think this is important is because even obviously they have a month to prepare so they can kind of change up what they, what they want to do and uh, you know, confuse SMU to think that SMU wasn't expecting this kind of defense. Uh, but I think it's interesting to see how much, how Halfley was willing to adapt and change his scheme, which he has been so married to during his first few years and say, Hey, maybe this year, you know, when there's going to be some turnover in the secondary, you know, you're getting a lot of new guys in Elijah Jones is gone. Maybe you're going to see some change ups in terms of how that BC runs your coverage. You're not going to be so married to, we're just going to run man coverage. We're just going to run single high We're But now we're going to say, Hey, maybe we're going to be more diverse, especially with guys now that have been here for a while that we can say, Hey, these guys know the scheme. Well, they know the calls, they know the adjustments and they can 
take over and say, okay, we're going to have more adjustments in this coverage. So we're not just running the same thing over and over again and defenses know how to attack it. Very interesting. And if you want to learn more about film and, and, and football technique, you got to check out Mitch's, Mitch's articles. It, it's, it's like, it's it's an education in itself. So make sure you come over to Eagle Insider. We got to wrap things up though, Mitch. Where can people find you? You can find me at Mitchell T. Wolf, W-O-L-F-E on Twitter. Uh, that's where I post all my work. And obviously check out Eagle Insider. Uh, as AJ said, you know, we got Beacon Street Ball stuff who, you know, I think we're kind of the beginning the yang of basketball and football on the site. And again, I think that with what we're doing, with what Katie Otis is doing for women's basketball, with what BC Hockey Blogs are doing for hockey, I will again say that there's nobody else covering BC sports as well as we are. And frankly, I, I think that we're, if you look at the quality of work that we're putting out and the depth of coverage that we're doing, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find another college sports website that gives as good information as timely news and as deep analysis as we do at Eagle Insider. I totally agree with Mitch there. So come on over, join us over there. This is AJ Black. Follow me on Twitter at AJ Black 247. We'll be back again tomorrow with another episode. We'll be talking more transfer portal news as there's another name coming to visit this weekend. You're going to want to hear about that. Kind of uh, a little tease. It's like a, a player at a position we were just talking about. There'll be a lot more, hopefully, that we'll talk about as the dead period's over. Make sure to check us all out on social media and on Eagle Insider. And make sure you subscribe to Locked On BC on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Because this is Locked On Boston College, the only BC podcast five days a week. Your team, every day.